Amy, on this podcast, we try to always offer useful takeaways. And if you learn nothing else from us, learn this useful parenting lesson by Pampers Cruisers 360. Pampers Cruisers 360 are the ultimate parent hack, the best diaper to use as soon as your baby starts standing or walking. Instead of ordinary diaper tabs, they have a unique 360-degree stretchy waistband that moves with your wild child. Pampers Cruisers 360 makes it so easy to change your baby. Who probably doesn't stop moving just because they need a diaper changed? Just slide on to apply and away they go. And fear not, parents. Pampers Cruisers 360 offers an up to 100% leak-free fit, and they just got even better with a new blowout barrier. Need we say more? For Trusted Protection Trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupons, savings, and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. 13% of people find lifting a boulder over their head hard. What fresh hell. Laughing in the face of motherhood. I do not just go on the computer and clean up and stuff. With Margaret Abels and Amy Wilson. We're elderly. I still don't even know if that's right. A podcast that solves today's parenting dilemmas. So you don't have to. Be the CEO of your home. Hey, everybody. Welcome to What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. This is Amy. And this is Margaret. And today we are talking about what do you do all day? The question that plagues stay-at-home moms everywhere and has for all eternity. Yeah, I know my mom has gotten that. And the answer is eat bonbons and watch TV. And that's our episode. I think that is what people picture, that like you're just kind of... A lady of leisure lying around. You know, we assume that, and I think we're right to assume that. Let's put it that way. You mean we assume that other people assume that? Yes. Like, you know, we assume that when we say, like, I stay home and take care of kids, like, I think we project a little bit of, like, judgment and assumptions that other people are making when we say that. And I also think we're correct when we make those projections and assumptions based on how somebody will, like, slowly, like, slink away from you at a cocktail party when you prove to... Only, I'm putting that in quotes, here are my air quotes, guys, only stay home and take care of the kids. Yes. And perspective-wise, I have been a working out of the house mom. I am currently a working from home mom. And I have also been in stay-at-home mom with no other employment. So I've seen the world from both sides now, as Joni Mitchell likes to say. Yeah, but you and I have a lucky sort of I mean, the thing that we do now, like we work as hard, as much as we can. Right? If I have a free moment, I'm spending it on the podcast and the network and everything. But I am around to do what I need to do. I've never really answered to somebody else. And the acting stuff that I did was before the kids were born, really. So I've always kind of worked. It's never been like HR wants to talk to me because I was only in the office 36 hours this week. Never anything like that. How about for you? I've had both. I've had a job while I had kids. And it was a fairly flexible arrangement, but it was definitely like I had somewhere to be in the morning. I mean, I had to be at the office in New York City by nine from my house. So I was getting up and taking the morning train and working a set of hours and answering to HR. And then I had, I have the situation that I've had now, which I've had on and off a little bit. Like I would be 
freelance writing and staying at home with the kids. But I probably had a period of three to four years, maybe a little bit longer, where I was completely a stay-at-home mom. I had a blog that I was working on that made zero dollars of income. And so I was trying to like keep one foot in stuff creatively, but I my job description was stay-at-home mom. I mean, I would probably have referred to myself as a writer if someone asked me what I did, but I mean... Aspirational. I was not writing. (laughs) I mean, I could refer to myself as a writer, but I didn't have a job for five years. And so I was a stay-at-home mom who probably on some level had an understanding that eventually I wanted to get back to my profession of being a writer. I wonder if the pandemic has changed this for the better because, look, I hate when people have asked me this question over the last you know two decades of parenting, like, oh, do you just stay home or whatever? You feel the judgment of it. But starting during the pandemic, everybody stayed home. Everybody saw what somebody in the home with small children does all day, and it's not eat bonbons. Like there was a new visibility of that work, which became, of course, was still more on us, the default parents and the people who weren't the default parents. But you know what I mean? It's like, do people stop wondering that? Or have we sort of slid back downhill? And now it's like, people have kind of forgotten how all encompassing that was. Well, from the feedback that we got, I will say we started as we often do with our Facebook group facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash what fresh hellcast with a question that came from one of our listeners who said, since COVID, I quit my job and I've been home. I drive my kids to school, work out, manage the house and family. I'm very happy and fulfilled, especially knowing that my eldest will be leaving for college soon and I'm soaking up this time. My problem is trying to explain this to others. I have a good college degree, worked in an decent field before I quit. I guess I feel pressure to work and use my skills. One well-intentioned retired woman at my gym was actually trying to figure out how I cannot drive my kids to school so I could go back to work. I've even considered lying and saying that I work part-time to get people off my case. So I think a lot of the feedback was not so much like, I don't like being a stay-at-home mom. I don't like how the world thinks of that. I don't like how the world thinks of that. And I think especially for most women I know, you know, it used to be that you got married at 18, 19, 20, maybe right after college, right? 22. My mom got married at, I think she was close to 30 or maybe 30 when she got married. And people referred to her face as like a spinster. They were like, oh, you chose not to have kids. And she had a kind of a big career. And But there was no understanding that you would be 30 and not have children unless you had chosen that path as some sort of like radical person, which is how people discussed it with my mom in the 1960s. And then on the other hand, as soon as you got married and got pregnant, my mother was pregnant with me and she taught second grade and had done it for like one full year and part of another year, I think. And the school threw her a goodbye party. Like as soon as she told them, which is when she was showing, it's like, oh, okay, we'll put your you know, little retirement party. We'll have cake for you on the last day of school. Of course, you won't be coming back. And out you go. Of course, you won't be coming back after the baby or as soon as you start to show. No, no, no. Of course, you won't be coming back in the end of the school year after the baby. It wasn't that long ago. Like, we're shamed by your pregnant belly. Just like, of course, you won't be returning to work. But like, what this is really about is that you can choose to stay home and you can be darn good at it. And you can certainly be plenty busy. But there's this 
assumption that we feel like from the outside. Like, yes, this listener who wrote in about this, it's not that she's not happy doing it. It's not that she's not having a fulfilled life. It's that she's getting like the slings and arrows of other people who assume that she can't be fulfilled and that she must want something more because what she's doing isn't enough. And she's sort of like, how do I answer that? Or care less, I guess, care less that people don't get your life and think they do. And I recently was talking to Liz Gubiner about this in an episode where we were talking about ditching the hustle. But one of the things that's very interesting, I think, societally writ large, is that my parents and older female relatives talk all the time about, like, on the one hand, we had no choices. We could be a nurse, a secretary, or a teacher, basically. And then the idea was you got married and you would not work outside the house because that would somehow be like shameful for your family if the wife was working outside the house. And that was extremely limiting and terrible. But at the same time, there was a calmness in that, in like, this is the role I'm in and I'm going to do it. And that there aren't also expectations that like, oh, I make good cookies, so I should have some side business where I sell these cookies on the internet. Like it's flipped to such a degree, I think, where the idea that you quote unquote do nothing as a stay at home mom has a stigma in the same way that like, oh, you had to work. What a shame for your family and what a, you know, horror for your husband that you have to be out working. Work has so profoundly changed, right, over the last three years, but also over like the last 30 years that you can, why don't you have an Etsy business, you know, (laughs) based on your kitchen table, like literally everybody else does, like it's fulfilling. And yeah, you should, oh, you're so good at making those cakes, you should have a business. I don't want to have a business. I like having time to walk around the reservoir with my friend every Tuesday, or to be all encompassed by raising my 18 month old twin, because I want to double click on this idea of like, because I just said something that I think is showing that even I, who have lived this life, have bias around like, I want to be a stay-at-home mom because I like having time to walk around the reservoir. Like There it sneaks in again, right? Like that being a stay-at-home mom is something that's fulfilling for you because you get to do what you want more. Why? Whereas the woman who works in a law firm, she gets to have lunch with her friend who works there every Tuesday. Like there's still ability to take time for yourself, but we sneakily think that that's really more possible if you're a stay-at-home parent. Well, another thing I would point out, and like we've both been doing it, is that we keep referring to this as something that is the reality for moms with really young kids. And the original poster actually has older kids. I think there's also this idea of like, wait, your kids are five. Like, it's now time to go back to work. Like, you don't need to be at home anymore. And so from the hours of eight to three, you should be going back to work. Like your kids don't need you to be home anymore. They're at school. Get it together. And I think that that's something I felt somewhat for myself. And it's just an interesting story to really be aware of. And we have, when we started the podcast, I would say we were working on the podcast, let's say maybe 10 hours a week. You know, we would record it, we would edit it, we would get it together. We now have expanded and we have several podcasts and a network and it is now an almost full-time job. I mean, I could certainly work and have worked 40 hours a week on our work. And one thing I find is like, I'm tired. I don't make good dinners. We're eating too much takeout food. The house is a mess. I mean, 
I no longer have the hours that I used to have in the day to say, all right, I'll work in the morning and then I'll clean up in the afternoon and prep dinner. And then by the time the kids get home, I can help with their homework. Like things fall away. There's only so much time in the day. And if I am not doing cleaning and cooking during the day, my kids are coming home to a pretty messy house and a box of pizza a lot of nights. And it's fine with me. I don't sweat that. But there is a big difference between, you know, having those hours and not having, even though my kids are not little, they don't need all that attention. And you know what I want to say in response to that is like, that's a stay-at-home mom too, right? A stay-at-home mom with a messy house and a pizza box for dinner. Like that doesn't, you don't get to earn the right to stay at home with your kids only if like their lives are smooth and no pickup is ever missed and, you know, it's pheasant under glass for dinner, right? And that isn't what it entails. Pheasant under glass is an oldie locks alert, Amy. That's like used to be our reference for. Yes, we had it on our cruise ships back in the day. Yeah, fuzzing under glass was always my mom's reference for what she was not cooking. Like, I don't even know. We'll have to look up the recipe for pheasant under glass, but it was definitely the go-to reference of 70s, 80s moms for fancy food. You know, this listener who's like, I want to be around with my kids because I have a kid who's leaving for college soon. I mean, I'm in the same place. I have a senior in high school right now. And I do like being, you and I structure our work so that you can pick up your kids after school. And so then I usually have a little bit of a window there. Even if I go back and work from like four to six or whatever, I have a window and my kids walk in from school. And it is, it's a total privilege to be there with them. And sometimes they need they forgot a form. They need this. Mom, where's my retainer? It's like that kind of stuff can happen at that time. Or sometimes it's just they talk about the stupidest things while I eavesdrop and laugh. But that is a gift. And I think it's a gift to them, a, a parent's time. Not that it has to happen at three o'clock, but I'm lucky that I get to do that. Yeah. And I think that also when we were first starting, I had had a job in the city that went away. And then you and I, probably six months after I finished that job, or maybe it was almost when that job was wrapping up, you and I had our conversation, like, should we start a podcast? We did start the podcast. And then my kids would say, my mom used to work. And so for the first several years of us doing the podcast, they did not acknowledge that I had a job. And it was kind of, mm -hmm. it was a borderline hobby. We weren't making money at it. We were like just figuring it out, you know? We were doing it because we wanted to. We were doing it because we wanted to. And we were trying to make something happen. But it was interesting to me that when I wasn't going and getting on a train anymore, and I was trying to kind of do my own thing, that I would just hear my kids say to people, oh, my mom doesn't have a job. She just stays at home with us. I'd be like, oh, well, I'm, I'm trying. <laughs> Editorial comment from the side. I'm kind of trying to make something happen. <laughs> this totally happened to me. My daughter was in, I think she was in pre-K, and they had to draw a picture and have words underneath. She might have been in kindergarten if they were like going to start to write things. A picture of what you want to be when you grow up. And then, you know, I want to be a blank because blank. And then their teachers help them. She wanted to be a mom when she grew up so that she could clean up and go on the computer and stuff. That was her <laughs> her view of what I did. And I was like, I do more than that. I do not just <laughs> go on the computer and clean up and stuff. And my, her two older brothers were like, mm, like, show us the lie. Like, what else do you do? They didn't really get it either. <laughs> show us the lie. <laughs> I have a response to that. I'll, we'll be right back after this. Margaret, exciting news. I am about to have a new baby nephew and believe it or not, this will be my 13th 
nephew. Amy, you're ready to give up your amateur status. You're a pro (laughs) aunt at this point. Our family has seen a lot of babies. And as soon as they start standing or walking, I send them all a whole lot of Pampers Cruisers 360. Pampers Cruisers 360 don't have ordinary diaper tabs. Instead, they have a unique 360-degree stretchy waistband that moves with your newly mobile little one. Pampers Cruisers 360 offer a gap-free fit that is up to 100% leak-proof, crucial once your baby is quite literally up and at them. And that gap-free fit helps prevent your baby from taking off their diaper, a habit you do not want them to get into. You can say that again. And Pampers Cruisers 360 just got even better with a new blowout barrier. Need we even elaborate on the need for that, friends? For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. More and more, you hear about the importance of electrolytes as part of staying hydrated because you need the sodium and the potassium, not just the water. And whether you're looking to hydrate during a workout, while traveling, or at the end of a long night, Sports Research Hydrate Electrolytes have got you covered with over 65 trace minerals, seven essential vitamins, and coconut water powder. Crisp and refreshing and without any sugar, this is hydration powered by Sports Research. They're little packets you can just grab and take with you to mix into your water bottle on the go. My favorite flavor so far, Amy, gotta be the cherry pomegranate. Interesting. My high schooler likes the lemon lime, and she keeps a few handy in her backpack for days that she has practiced after school. These electrolytes have the sodium and the potassium that you need to go with it in the optimal ratio for daily hydration. Visit sportsresearch.com and use code WHATFRESH at checkout for 50% off your purchase of Hydrate. That's sportsresearch, S-P-O-R-T-S-R-E-S-E-A-R-C-H, sportsresearch.com, and use code WHATFRESH for 50% off your Hydrate electrolytes order. My son, I want to say in kindergarten... Got uh, took a sick day, you know, whatever. He was staying home, but he wasn't really that sick. He was sick of going to school day, kind of. But, you know, he was presenting sick enough in the morning. I let him stay home. And then he said in the morning, he's like, I'm kind of excited to see what happens here all day when I'm not here. <laughs> and then at the end of the day, he's like, it's not very exciting. And I said, you know, you're not wrong. It's not very exciting what happens around here. I clean stuff up. I do some laundry. And then I get on the computer. Or it's terribly, terribly interesting. You have two kids home vomiting or you have like a kid who broke his leg in four places. You know, that is, it's the 80-20, I would say. There are 20% of days that are terribly, terribly, if not interesting, you are thoroughly occupied with something you might rather not be doing. Amy, let us turn to our friend, friend of the podcast and friend to you and I, Laura Vanderkam, who did a feature in partnership with Redbook for Today.com. On this very topic, she says, I knew that people had a lot of misconceptions about how stay-at-home moms spend their time. People believe moms are sitting around doing nothing or that 100% of their time is consumed with childcare. Neither is the case. And so she does, if you listen to our episode with Laura, one of her kind of defining principles throughout her work is time tracking. She has people truly write down what they do in very small, I don't remember what it is. 15-minute increments, yeah. 15-minute increments. 
And it's a very useful exercise, as she talked about on our episode, for so many different aspects, because sometimes it's like, I'm so overwhelmed. And it's like, oh, that's actually kind of fixable if you were to really track your time, try to batch things, lots of applications for this. But in this piece, she applied it to stay-at-home moms. And so much interesting data came out of this, but... One of the big things, and this is something that like the lay around thing, 87% of stay-at-home moms are awake before 6 a.m. That to me does not sound like a person who doesn't have a job. No. I, even as a stay-at-home mom, was never awake before 6 a.m. My husband had the good sense to know that if I'm awake before 6 a.m., nothing else good happens in the household all day. So my husband still to this day, he let me sleep in this morning. He let me sleep in. You know, like we trade. We make little bargains with each other. Like, hey, uh, he's okay with handling the morning himself. He'll run the morning show sometimes for me. He's got travel coming up. And I said, all right, for the rest of the week, you do all mornings because I know next week I'm on my own, whatever it happens to be. This is a weird dichotomy. The idea, Laura says, people believe either that moms have nothing to do or that they're consumed 100% of the time by childcare. Like those are a weird, like, those are sort of barbells. Like they have nothing to do or they have 100% to do. Well, I think this is what she's saying people assume. So if you were to say, like with your child's exercise, draw a picture of a stay-at-home mom. Many people would draw a lady in a bathrobe sitting on the couch, like watching soap operas, basically, right? Or they do the like Indian goddess where she has a frying pan in one hand and a vacuum cleaner in the other hand and curlers in her hair. That's exactly it. Like some people would draw one and some people would draw like frazzled, right? The meme that we've all kind of seen with like her, like with the pot going with a baby on her hip and another one crying and, you know, while she's doing the laundry. I actually have a, a story about that. So I did a one-woman show in New York when my kids were very little called Motherlode, and it toured around the country, and it led to everything I've done ever since talking about parenting. It started a, a new part of my life. Anyway, when we were creating what the show art was going to be, there was an ad agency creating the show art, and I made it clear, I thought ahead of time, like, don't show me as the art for the show, a woman with curlers in her hair and a bathrobe, you know, screaming through the screen door with the frying pan in her hand. Like, do not miss me with that as our show art for this. And what do you think they brought me? They just brought me like other versions of that, right? Like right. with my hair, like I'm crazy. I'm yelling at people and I'm like frantic with an ironing board. I'm like, I don't use an ironing board. If, if stuff is wrinkled, I either don't wear it or I wear it wrinkled. Like I don't use an ironing board. This is crazy. This doesn't represent my life. And yet my life is full of other things. We ended up not using that ad agency because they just were like, well, then I'm out of ideas. Like if I can't show you being like frazzled, screaming, cranky person, that's all I got. Right. That's all I got. I only get, well, Tina Fey, has a is it I don't remember it's a 30 rock episode or something that she just was talking about in another context of like when you're a comic never let them take a picture of you with a rubber <laughs> right. chicken because right. that is the picture they will use 100% of the time and it's the same thing it's like this conveys like a lady comic it's a lady with a rubber chicken like no do no, not accept the right. rubber chicken in the photo right and it's a person right. sitting and outside do not it except the like hair curlers they, they don't get it at all and like here's the one thing I know about it you must be really frazzled and unhappy and, and cranky all the time and like ruining everybody else's happiness. That's what I know about a mother, you know? And yeah, and they bring it to that. And it's not, there's a lack of understanding from the outside. So do we care? Like, should we care? The people miss it and don't get it? I guess it's insulting. I think it's insulting. I think that you can't control other people's behavior, but I think that there are consequences 
to internalizing this and to figuring it out. And one of the things that Laura's study showed is that on average, stay-at-home moms were working four and a half hours a day, which may not seem like a lot because you think of like the classic workday as eight hours. And so maybe for two of those hours, the baby is sleeping or whatever it happens to be, or maybe they're not calculating playing dolls with the kid as work, you know? Yeah. And one of the other things that we've talked about that is very much a factor in this is invisible work stuff that we often talk about in terms of a marriage that like other people in your family do not see the invisible work of, I'm realizing it's December and that it's Christmas and that now that the Christmas presents are bought, I have to start thinking about sister-in-law's birthday, nephew's birthday that are both in early January, daughter's birthday that will involve a party and an outing and something with the family that comes on the 31st and we need to buy presents. Then right after that is February. That's going to be the school play. Are they, when are the auditions? What are the costumes? What is everyone's role? Then it's break. Where are we going? Like the kind of work I think that whether or not people respect this from an outside point of view, drilling down on what the realities of this looks like for us can be helpful in terms of respecting our own work, you know? Yeah. I look at this and I think that if somebody said they worked 4.5 hours, I think Laura Vanderkam as a time tracker would be like, see, you have more time than you think you do. You do have time to start that business or read that novel or whatever. You just block it into your day. But I look at that and I wonder, 4.5 hours, that's all I worked. Like I'm thinking about if I take 20 minutes to like make some leftovers and sit down in the kitchen and have lunch, guess what I'm doing with that 20 minutes? As you said, like I'm thinking like, oh, let me just quick like book parking at the airport for that thing I just thought of. Let me just quick see if I can find a dress for my daughter's semi-formal. Like you're still, <laughs> even during lunch, you're using any free time you have to plan ahead. And I might not count that as work, but it's still work. I think that's right. And I think that the undervaluation, if that's the word, of stay-at-home moms is most pernicious. I don't know that we can get people to respect the role of stay-at-home moms because they haven't for a long time and there's not a lot of you know good data that they're going to start. I think COVID did help a little bit, but it's in terms of valuation. So in this poll, in the same article, Stay-at-home moms thought the salary that they deserved was $50,000 a year to be a stay-at-home mom, that if you were going to pay them, that's what they would deserve. And then salary.com is where I got it from, but it's all over the place. Yeah, you see these studies. Median annual salary for a stay-at-home mom this year. People think it should be 50000 What do you think the number actually is in terms of like, this is what you would pay if you had to replace a stay-at-home mother in a household? We should definitely be six figures. It's $184,820. <laughs> so it's almost quadruple. To replace, if you had to pay somebody to do all the work that a stay-at-home mom does, if you had to sort of job out a driver and a cook, is that how they do it? Is that how they're imagining it? Yes, exactly. Exactly. That they And they don't double all of those salaries. It's also calculate on 24 hours, it's going to have overtime, like all of those factors. They're not saying like, well, you add a bookkeeper and a kitchen manager and a housekeeper. They're saying over the course of 24 hours to pay overtime for all of these jobs, this is what you would pay someone. And the hourly rate is not that high. You know, it's an average of those jobs. And so 
It's a lot of money. I'm laughing at the list. The list is hilarious. There's stuff on here like logistics analyst, van driver, physical therapy supervisor, and conflicts manager. I've definitely done all of those things this year. Conflicts manager, meeting event planner, public school teacher, chief financial officer, and chief operating officer. This is the <laughs> list of things that a stay-at-home mom does. And I yep. I think sometimes this stuff can become a little tweet-tweet and facile, like, well, actually, I'm the chief executive officer of my household. And it becomes a little bit like, it feels like a mug. You know what I mean? Like, do you really mean that? It's like saying ADHD is your superpower. Like, yeah, kind of. But is that also patronizing to say that, right? It's a patronizing to be like, I'm be the CEO of your home. It's for sure both. Yeah. But at the same time, I think one of the big divides is that as women have become much more educated, right? So that the number of women getting a college education, as opposed to in my mom's generation, where a lot of women had high school education, or I mean, I know many women from that generation who studied something like home economics in college. I mean, they were getting ready to be homemakers. Again, did a great job. Nothing wrong with that. But that it feels different to people, I think, to have people with advanced degrees, graduate degrees, then staying home with kids, that it feels like, well, you're wasting your degree. You're wasting. And in fact, as you look at stories of like, or the Ruth Bader Ginsburg movie, that those women were told, like, you're taking someone else's spot who could go on to be a great lawyer, and you're just going to give this up as soon as you get pregnant. And so- Because we tell you to. (laughs) You know, medical school, the same thing. Like, why would we- Why would we invest in you as a doctor when someone else might never take a break in being a doctor and you might because you're going to be? And so these things are complicated and you don't want to point to them in ways that enforce arguments that you completely abhor. Something we haven't talked about yet that I think is important is being a stay-at-home mom on a limited income. Like we're so far sort of talking about it. Like my worst part about this is that people think I'm not busy when I am, right? We're not talking about the problem. And more importantly, talking about staying home motherhood as a choice. And so often it's not a choice. That staying at home, I pulled it from dictionary.com, but like here's the definition of a stay-at-home mother. A mother who stays at home to take care of her children and manage the household. And implied within that is that there is a spouse within the household who is earning the money of the household. Providing, using my air quotes again, providing for the family while you stay home and do nothing. Providing or that there is enough money in the household generally that you only need one income to survive, which is it's limited. It's more and more limited. You know, during the pandemic, women left the workforce at twice the rate of men. There were all kinds of reasons that somebody had to become a stay at home parent, chiefly among them kids being at home and not going to school. And women were just the default, well, somebody's going to quit. You know, there were reasons. There are entrenched sort of gendered reasons people chose that. There are also women don't make as much as men. And there's a lot of reasons. And so the a lot of stay-at-home parents were created by the pandemic. This listener who wrote in in the beginning, she was one of them. And it's worked out pretty well for her. And I'm really, I'm glad to hear that. And some people less so, right? Yeah. And some, many people, because the daycares were actually shut. There was no one home to actually be with the children. And so it was extremely complicated and it really wasn't. The idea of choice plays a huge role in this. Let's hold on that for a minute and come back after this break. 
Margaret, I've been at the research again, looking into metabolic health, and more importantly, metabolic flexibility, which turns out is the key to improved energy levels, better sleep, better fitness, all the things. And I found out about all this because we got a chance to try Lumen, the first handheld device that helps you manage your metabolic health. Lumen works when you breathe into it. If you do that first thing in the morning or after a workout, Lumen measures your metabolism by measuring the amount of carbon dioxide in your breath. It's science, people. That lets you see exactly what's going on in your body in real time. Then you use Lumen's app to get tailored guidance to improve your sleep, your nutrition, even stress management. If you're interested in figuring out the effects of different sorts of foods on your body, Lumen is a really cool way to see what's actually happening as your body burns different fuel sources. If you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use Fresh to get $100 off your Lumen. That is L-U-M-E-N dot M-E, lumen.me, and use the code FRESH at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. Hello, Hellions. You know we listen to a lot of podcasts that aren't our own, and today we want to tell you about a podcast that really speaks to us and will speak to any parent of a child with special education needs. The podcast is called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. The latest season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP, and it busts common myths about special education. One of my kids has an IEP, and I found this podcast so validating and so helpful. I feel better equipped to advocate for my child's educational needs now. This podcast is helpful for parents in many different situations, whether your child already has an IEP or you're just starting to wonder if they might need extra support in the classroom. Juliana has content for kids of all ages and for kids who are learning English as an additional language as well. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Is parenting going too well at your house? Feeling too relaxed in your day-to-day existence? Are you going more than eight hours without shrieking a horror-fueled diatribe at your spouse? Sweetie, that was such a great day. Hey, would you grab me a glass of wine? Try minor annoyances. I can't find the wine anywhere. I thought you said it was in the fridge. Oh my God, it's on the second shelf! How can you not see it? Seriously, it's right in front of your face! With minor annoyances, your days will be entirely transformed in a matter of seconds. Who left a half-full mac and cheese pot in the sink? Oh my god, this might as well be hardened Elmer's glue. Guess I'll be cleaning this all morning. And if rageful venting at no one is not your style, never fear. Try a minor annoyance that brings on full bouts of tearful babbling. These socks in the laundry are clean! I mean, look at them. They're still paired up. What more do you need to see to know that these don't belong in the dirty clothes? For the love of all that's holy, people. With minor annoyances, you'll be transported to a world of endless mumbling to yourself about why things have to be so minorly, yet consistently irritating. Oh, sure. We'd love to participate in Spirit Week for the preschool because my kid just happens to have a full outfit of 70s clothes for Wednesday. And then we'd just love to come up with some sort of wacky hair for Thursday because it's not like we have anything else to do. I mean, sure. Major annoyances are annoying. They're changing the way driver's licenses work, so you'll have to get a new one at the DMV this month if you want to fly home at Christmas. 
but try minor annoyances. Okay, sweetie. You really want ketchup on your eggs? That's completely vomit-inducing, but if it makes you stop crying, I guess we can give it a try. Because they're part of your life now, too, Mom. I'm in the shower. Can you just give me a minute, and then I will get you another juice box. No, you need it while I still have shampoo in my eyes? Oh, that is just fantastic, honey. Okay, but get out of the way. No, I can't open the door. I, I am dripping water. Let me just get a towel. Can you just... Coming back, Gallup study 60,000 women in the U.S. revealed that more than a quarter of stay-at-home moms report feeling depressed, and researchers hypothesize that societal recognition of the difficult job stay-at-home mothers have raising children is part of that. Well, yeah. (laughs) But tying into what we were just discussing before we broke, it's much worse for low-income moms. The stress of being a stay-at-home mom is then exacerbated by limited income. And so there's one part of this that is staying at home can be depressing for many reasons, which we'll go into, but that financial decisions that are, you know, inextractable from this are a whole other level of pain points. So women who had to leave the workforce in the last couple of years for all sorts of reasons get both the hard, hard work and then also the societal assumptions that it's not that hard and the gap in their resume and the actual literal lack of support, right? That's what we're so depressing and hard about being a stay-at-home parent is how hard it is, I think, and how little emotional support you get. And people understanding it's hard is one part of it, so is like doing something about it, but that's, you know, beyond the scope of the question, what do you do all day? Yeah. And I think that there's also like you say sometimes like the pain in the gap is that being a stay-at-home mother, according to all logic and all surveys, is an extremely difficult job. I was slightly chuckling at this statistic because we often read statistics and they're like, 13% of people find lifting a boulder over their head hard. And we're like, wait, how can it only be 13% of people? It's actually like we read these statistics sometimes that seem very obvious and then the number seems very, very low to us. So you'll be glad to know that Motherly's first annual state of motherhood survey found that 89% of mothers do not feel that society is supporting them and 97% report feeling burned out by motherhood at least some of the time. I was like, that statistic should still probably be 103%, but I was very happy to finally find a statistic that was not like 21% of mothers find it hard sometimes. It's like, yeah, 97% of them are like, I'm over this. I saw a TikTok yesterday when you said Boulder. It made me think of this. It was actually somebody had done a TikTok and then there was like a response to the TikTok. What do you call that? I'm old. You know, when you do the split screen and you're like, this is me responding to this person. Oh, called a um yeah stitch or something like that it's a stitch thank you everyone who yelled at your phones we figured it out (laughs) we're elderly i still don't even know if that's right but yes yes so this was a young woman sort of like reclining on her bolsters you know being like everybody gets the story of sisyphus wrong sisyphus just to pause for a second in case you don't remember from your like high school greek mythology is a mortal who was for all eternity doomed to push a heavy boulder up a hill every day only to have it roll back down for the rest of his life he had to do this roll the boulder uphill and have it roll back down 
And so the point of the story is like, well, that would suck, right? That would really be, you don't want to be Sisyphus. So this woman's like, people are getting Sisyphus all wrong. Like the point of Sisyphus is each day he woke up ready to push that boulder up the mountain and just think how big and strong he got. And like, what a privilege it is to start every new day ready to push that boulder up the hill and get bigger and stronger every day. Like, what about that mindset, people? <laughs> and of course, people were like, what? Like, she's like, rise and grind, Sisyphus. You go. Exactly. And I'm like, that wouldn't help Sisyphus if you showed up and said that. But nobody would say to Sisyphus, on the other hand, so what do you do all day? Like, I, I can see what you do all day. Exactly. You push a boulder up a hill. And that sucks. Yeah. My friend Allie says that she has Sisyphus written on her laundry tub. Like, because she's just like, it just is like, that is what it is. It's just every day. My mother-in-law, we said this on the podcast before, sometimes at some point long ago said, the laundry's done. And I said, for my own mental health, I've just accepted the fact that the laundry is never done. Like, no. done and the laundry are two words that do not go together. The laundry is Sisyphus. It rolls back down. And like the minute you get it put away, someone is leaving their stinky socks around. It's just, and I think that, you know, they've done studies that long ago, there was a series of, you know, violent incidents among postal workers. And people were sort of like, what is so wrong with the post office that people are going insane in this and, you know, shooting co-workers in this space? Yeah. Going postal, we used to say. Yeah. Yeah. Part of what psychologists said is that it's the never ending. The job has no end, that it is Sisyphus, that you get all the mail to in its slots and then you turn around and there's an equal size thing of mail and then you just are constantly doing work that you never see any reward from that the boulder just rolls down and you go in the morning and that for some people that's very difficult and it has a very strong parallel to motherhood that every day is a new day of meals and chicken nuggets and school forms and crying and the boo-boo. And when they're older, the friend group conversation and the getting yelled at. And I will say it's another thing that can be a little bit like mug, tweet, tweet, but there is no HR department. At my other jobs, I was just saying this to my husband the other day, at our workplace and at workplaces I've worked in before, you're not allowed. I'm never allowed to be like, Amy, you stupid idiot. How dare you? I was just trying to record that. And you messed me up. Guess what? Your three coworkers as a stay-at-home mom are allowed to talk to you that way. Now, before everybody comes on and says, I would never let my kid talk to me that way. Mm -hmm. I get it. My kids are not allowed to call me a stupid idiot to my face. But the general tone of mom, comma, you idiot, comma, it's hard to fight. It seeps in a lot. You know, my peers at my stay-at-home mom job do not treat me with respect and admiration. Robert's rules of order do not apply. No. And often at, at our job, when I do something right, Amy will be like, hey, you did a great job on that. Oh, that was so smart of you to think of that. Guess what? No one says that to me at my stay at home work job. Nobody. Yeah. And so that's burnout, right? And burnout is worse than stress. We should do a whole episode just on burnout because burnout, I think, is a word we throw around a lot. But burnout is a thing. Like we say, like, I have such a bad migraine. Like, you don't have a migraine. It's a headache. If you had a migraine, it's a whole other thing. Burnout is a specific thing that comes from this sort of Sisyphean every day is the same and I'm losing all joy in this. 
Yes. And so some stay-at-home parents feel that way, and we should hold space for that. Like, there are things about it that are really hard. And then there are other people and other moments in the job, of course. It's totally fulfilling. It's totally great. I love it. And that we should both have to do something that's so hard and then have to deal with people thinking it's not hard. I guess like a brain surgeon doesn't have to deal with people assuming that job must be really easy all the time. And that would be very irritating if you did. But we do. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And also the feeling of like, there's something worse than just boring, that there's something like you're really letting us all down, like you're actually a failure, like that in the world full of like self-actualized women who are out there, you know, Hmm. breaking through glass ceilings and like doing it for ourselves, that you're somehow falling into this sad gray category that was sort of a relic of the past, like Mm -hmm. The mom who just stayed home with her kids. It's not even like, I don't respect you as much as a brain surgeon. It's like, I don't respect you as much as, you know, a person who, I'm trying to think of the other side of that, that won't sound horrible. This hasn't changed in decades. There's a song called Just a Housewife from a musical called Working. I'll find the link and put it in the show notes. O-M-G. And it's a really beautiful, sad song from the late 70s, I think, maybe early 80s. All I am is just a housewife, nothing special, nothing great. And, you know, it's a slow build through the song. I'm like, all I do is this, I do this, I do this. And and her frustration with that, how unseen she is. And it's remarkable to me. This is a thing. I mean, I felt this thing, right? That that was just as true for our parents as it is for us. And I'd like to think it isn't going to be true for my daughter when she's parenting and nobody understands how hard it is. But boy, it's stuck around while a lot of other things have changed around it. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think that, you know, so many of the responses to this thread were very validating as our Facebook group tends to be. Shout out to our Facebook group that just tends to be full of people who are really able to see each other and say like, yes, and me too. And yeah. And, you know, lots of people came in saying, yes, I tell basically the response to the question, what do you do when people say like, are you just a stay at home mom? What do you do all day? And some people said, listen, no explanation needed. I've made my choices and I know that I'm happy. I think that's true. Some people said, I say I'm the CEO of the family. I'm the COO of family operations. That works for some people to say like, hey, think about what I do for a second. I like this answer of it's a full-time gig and I love it. What do you do all day? Don't believe me. It's a full-time gig and I love it. I think that's a great sort of one sentence answer to have at the ready. Yeah. And I think Sarah said, and I thought this was exactly, and I was talking about this a little bit in the beginning. I think society values the hustle and everyone thinks everyone should be doing more than what they're doing. I don't ask people I just met about why they are only X at their job and not Y. But for some reason, I get the, and your kids are in school, so what are you going to do now, question. I simply say, stay at home. And I think it is a good perspective. And I think there is something really special about communities of women who can talk to each other about this topic, because that's right. We don't go up. People don't say, I'm a chef. Oh, what are you only doing that for? Don't you have a side business where you sell you know, your recipes to people online? That is not how I interact with working people in the world. And I think this is a very valuable 
perspective. And she goes on to say, if someone genuinely asks me and I can tell they're making non-judgmental conversation, I happily talk about how it's right for my family and how I feel I am exactly where I should be right now in my life. And I think both of those things can be true, that you can say, I have to hold the value of this thing because I don't think we're going to shift everyone away from being like, oh, but you were a lawyer and now you just stay at home with kids. I'm not sure we can keep trying. I don't know how much we can shove that boulder. But I think understanding that you can be part of the conversation of like, you want to know what I do all day? Okay, this is what it looks like. And then also saying, I understand that I am not out there telling other people how to do their jobs. And so I do not have to listen to other people telling me how I should do my job. Not interesting. Mm -hmm. I think you solved it. Solved it. This will never be a problem again. No, no, no. (laughs) We're done. We're done with this problem. Never again. Thank goodness. We see you. We know what you do all day. We're doing it too. Everything. I'm going to quote Natalie here. When asked what you do all day, just respond, everything. I do all the things. Yeah. I'm going to say that next time. That sounds about right. Now, if we can give you one more thing to do in your already extremely busy day, whether you're a working mom, a stay-at-home mom, we know how busy you are, but we have one more thing we'd like you to do. And that is what, Amy? We'd love you to sign up for our newsletter. We're going to put a link in the show notes where you can sign up for our newsletter. One click. We just need your email address, your first name. We're not asking for like your social security number or anything. And then once a month, we tell you our favorite episodes. We're telling you, I'm just finishing the best book. I loved it. I'm not going to tell you what it is. I'm going to put it in the newsletter. You have to get the newsletter to find out the book. People who like to read to find out what book I'm reading. Mm -hmm. And let me just underline once a month. Sometimes I'm on newsletters. I'm getting them like six times a day. I'm not interested. Once a month. Very infrequent, hyper valuable. And wait until you find out Amy's mystery book. (laughs) I don't know what it is. I have to wait for the newsletter. And with that, friends, thanks so much for listening. And we will talk to you next time. So long. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent with sometimes hilarious and always thought provoking experts and friends at Mindful Mama. We know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory. Two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And this is our new podcast, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. What happens when your creative spark just seems to disappear? Gone. Poof. Bye. See ya. What happens when life gets in the way of your creativity instead of nourishing it? That's what happened to Molly and me. We felt like the thing that drove us creatively stopped working and impending doom had in fact invented. Totally. So we decided to do something about it. And that was steal ideas about getting unstuck from the most creative people we can find. We talk to guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. And we're not just talking Bob Ross type paint on paper artists here, though we talk to them too. We're talking to actors, creative directors, dancers, and people who are working hard to be their best creative selves in a world that can sometimes feel 
real uncreative. We all have something to teach each other, so let's steal their ideas together. Join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Pandemics, school calendars, world events, lack of sleep, oh, get out of their life gunk. And let's get back to your best creative self. Subscribe to Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. You're not gonna wanna miss an episode. Unsticking it with Blair and Molly because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking.